This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host Tyler Kern and joining me is John Carippo. He's the Chief Learning Officer at Q. John, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Always happy to chat about education, brother. Absolutely. And we have a lot to talk about when it comes to education. And when it comes to education, you've been in this industry now for 20 plus years in a lot of different capacities, wearing a lot of different hats over that time. Uh, But now you are the chief learning officer at Q, as I mentioned earlier. Tell me a little bit more about uh, what Q is and what all you're doing there. Well, Q is, uh, it's think of it as a professional organization for educators in California and Nevada. So um, if you, if you, if when you're growing up, your mom or dad, was in something like Rotary or Oaks Club or something like that. We're we're a bunch of teachers that like to get together and geek out on our profession. But then we also, um, you know, we share ways to teach better with each other. And we have a couple of major conferences in California. We've got a I, I, what I think is the biggest one uh, west of the Rockies, uh, which is uh, Q and Palm Springs, is about 6,500 people. Um, and then we have a couple of other signature events. We have a fall Q coming up in Sacramento, the state capital, um, with about 1,200 people. And then we have about 25,000 people on our listserv that are members. And uh, and it's free to join. So if somebody if this sounds fun to somebody, they can just go to q.org slash join and be a free member in about five minutes. That's pretty incredible. Now, I mentioned your your experience that you have in the classroom. Uh, what all did you learn from those experiences? And, and you know, I, I suppose that's a that's a vague question or a very uh, broad question, perhaps. But how did it uh, help prepare you for what you're doing now at Q? I will tell you that um, it, it, it's it's a long story. I, I got into teaching as actually about a third career. My wife talked me into it, and uh, she's a teacher. And uh, I really went in as a guy who had always been kind of a 2.9 GPA guy to teaching because it sounded fun to be able to help kids have a better experience. So that's been really the thrust of my uh, over 20 years of this. I, I'm now I'm an Apple Distinguished Educator. I'm a Google Certified Teacher. I'm a Microsoft Innovative Educator. I'm a YouTube Star Teacher. I've done PD um, in Europe, in Australia, in Mexico. And the, the focus for me is really how, how do we understand the craft, the art and science of teaching better? And that's part of how we got to this conversation was because of our bold conference. Yeah. I want to learn a little bit more about the bold conference. Tell me a little bit more. I know you had a racetrack classroom. Is that right? I, I need some more details on that. Cause that sounds like something that I'm, I'm very curious about. We're going into theater of the mind now. Uh, bold is an <laughs> event that we do, you know, there's a lot of different kind of teacher conferences, but there's not a lot of te- teacher events that focus on how do you actually create better lessons, right? So hmm. it's, a, it's a, it has a very specific focus that way. Uh, bold stands for blended online lesson and design and design can include the classroom. So we bring in folks who are uh, incredibly highly skilled at this kind of thing. Um, I want to give a shout out to Rebecca Hare and Valerie Sun, who came in this year as our guest designers. Do you remember the show Extreme Home Makeover? Oh, yeah. Love that show. Well, one of the things we do at Bold is a Bold classroom where we literally take over a classroom and we put in new AV, new furniture, uh, change it up, teach teachers how to use it, and then we leave it all behind. So that's kind of one of the really fun things about Bold. 
Um, but to the, the racetrack classroom in particular, um, now I'm going to go like 50,000 foot for you. This took me probably uh, over a decade of thinking and looking and, and checking. We've spent billions of dollars on new curriculum. Like everybody's lived through new math, right? Everybody's lived through that. And it's never gotten us the results we want because the results we want are people who enjoy math and enjoy math careers. And to this day, if you talk to 100 people and say, did you choose your major based on how little math there is? I will bet you at least half say, dude, that's what I did. <laughs> like I went and said, how much math? And they said, two classes and you're done. And I was like, I'm out of here. And I, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm raising my hand. I'm guilty. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people are there. And the problem is that we, the, the way the math classroom is set up, the math classroom is set up is that it's not getting us the results we want. And so we've tried different curriculums. We've tried training our teachers. We've spent billions and billions on training teachers. And the reality of it is what I had an epiphany about maybe it's coming up on six years ago. Um, I saw a PBS special about a teacher and an administrator that got rid of all the desks in their classrooms. And they put up shower boards all the way around. So every kid was at the board. Every single student was at the board. And now, since they're operating in a vertical orientation, the teacher can look over their shoulders and see what everybody's doing in real time. This was the problem uh, with the way you got taught, uh, Tyler. A uh, mm -hmm. teacher would say – they would do two or three examples. This is my class. This is my math memory. teacher would do two or three examples and say, you good? And we'd all go, yeah, because we didn't want to be in trouble. And then she would or he would give us a worksheet with 25 or 30. And I'd get about halfway through and I realized I was I was done. Like I, I got nothing. <laughs> and um, now it becomes awkward because if I raise my hand or if the teacher walks over to me, there's a whole like international incident going on. And most of middle school and high school kids don't want to be there. So in this 360 model, what I realized is really the magical simplicity of it is the desk is out of the equation. See, I made a math pun. The desk <laughs> is out of the equation. So the teacher can see what's happening when it's happening. I'm going to let that sink in for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So so now the teacher can walk around the perimeter of the room and say, oh, Tyler, that looks good, but you got this is a two, bro. You put a three. That ain't going to work, so try this. Mm -hmm. And you're getting in situ, like while you're building it, feedback on what's going on. And uh, the teacher in that particular PBS special, her um, her class scores went up 65% more than everybody else in the district. And I said, oh, my God, I got to try this out. So it's called a 360 classroom. If you look up ha hashtag uh, 360 math on Twitter, you can see people doing it. Um, but the problem with the 360 classroom is if I want to integrate my use of technology – my, my Chromebook's over on the desk, my iPad's over on the desk, and I'm standing here, and I can't really use the technology as part of the math. And again, I think, you know, my, my specialty is marketing and English language arts and film, so I'm not a math expert. But that being said, uh, I think that kids should comfortably use technology and not just a calculator, but spreadsheets and things like that, gathering data uh, while they're doing the work. So... The idea of the racetrack classroom goes like this. We put whiteboards all the way around the room. Thanks to ThinkBoard, Think-Board, uh, they gave us um, some free whiteboards um, that are self-adhesive. You just slap them up on the wall. Like imagine – Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, imagine like a 20-foot-long a uh, whiteboard that you can just stick on any wall that doesn't mark, and you can pull it off if you want to. It's like a giant Post-it note, gigantic, mm -hmm. four feet tall, <laughs> 20 feet long. It's like 500 bucks. 
for a two a mm. 20 footer so we had the whiteboard piece fixed and then we were working with meteor education on the furniture piece and um i said what if we gave the kids a, a bar height table so like 40 inches tall so like when you go to a pub think of that kind of pub height table yeah yeah and, and what if we put those tables all the way around the perimeter of the room so that I could have my Chromebook right here, only two feet or three feet from where I'm working with my Expo marker. Mm -hmm. And then what if I had a stool I could stand or sit and nobody would know the difference because it's bar height. So nobody can tell if I'm standing or sitting. And so that started coming together. And the idea is I have my Chromebook here. And when I spin around, I have my, inner, um, I have my whiteboard there. And the other beauty of it, think about this as school age, Tyler, there's no back row. Right, right. And, and the reason I call it a racetrack classroom is the teacher can now just walk in circles, hanging out with kids all day, getting feedback mm -hmm. in small groups. And so if, if 12th or 10th grade Tyler has a math problem, he go, hey, teacher, what's up? The teacher just slides over, stands right next to Tyler and goes, okay, this is good. This is good. Okay, Mike, who's your friend standing next to you? Mike, what do you do wrong here? Oh, man, he got a cross cancel. Okay, Tyler, there you go, buddy. I'll be back in a minute. Totally yeah. different interaction than that teacher trying to squeeze through 40 desks. Because that gets annoying and awkward, and it takes a lot of time. So um, where Mimeo and Boxlight come in on this is they also um, donated uh, some gear to this classroom. So there was – I want you to visualize this classroom. So now in your theater of your mind, you've got whiteboards mm -hmm. all the way around. Um, there is no teacher's desk. The teacher has a portable lectern. The kids have a desk that's bar height, about 40 inches tall with stools so they can sit stand nobody minds they can actually write on the desk because it's got a white surface and then they've got the whiteboard behind them and then what Mimeo Boxlight did was they came in and they gave us uh, uh, two 75 inch touch screens and this super rad 11 foot wide short throw projector setup so there was interactive whiteboard on three out of the four walls which meant what now the teacher could share their share their knowledge, share the lesson. And then they could have multiple kids looking up things and working on things on the internet um, at the same time the whole class was working. So that's, that's that was a really cool setup. That's absolutely incredible. And that really uh, does a lot of great things, like utilizing the technology that Boxlight provided in, in creative and cool ways. But the thing that stands out to me is that this is a classroom that's designed uh, with the mentality and the specific challenges of being a middle school, high school age student in mind, right? I, I think sometimes that's not taken into account. And you mentioned the back row effect. I, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Just that um, when you have the, the the traditional classroom setup right now, you give kids almost permission to be less engaged by allowing them to sit on the back row. But in this case, right. you're engaging every student. Yeah, it's just the it's just the reality of if you're going to put people nine rows deep, the people in the back row will have a coloring book or Facebook or something going on. Uh, when everybody's in the front row, it's a totally different situation. So it's it's a two way street because the student is more visible in terms in terms of being on task, but the teachers also can access them much more easily. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And w one of the things that struck me about what you said, and I think you're absolutely right, is that when you used to raise your hand in math class, um, you know, when you were a kid, you slowed down. You felt like you were slowing down the, the progress of the class and 
uh, right. and, and everything right. like that. And you said, I think, or, or publicly pronouncing that you're lost. Yeah. When you get the whole, oh my god, dude. In this model, there's this small interaction piece that's totally different. And you know, with with the way that the um, the, the box light uh, stuff works now, I I got to tell you, I'm a technologist, and I hadn't really looked at what was possible on technology in terms of uh, touch screens now. And it's pretty cool. And the easiest way I could explain it to somebody who's not necessarily a super techie teacher is i want you to imagine a 70 inch 75 inch screen which is bigger than most people have at at their house and it's basically a giant tablet Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so i can literally go up and tap the screen and it has a android os built into it and now i can be totally surfing the web with a wireless keyboard from anywhere in the room so now i as a teacher i'm not trapped there and um, I can also just with one switch of my button, I can be streaming into it via AirPlay. Um, and in another switch of the button, I can be uh, broadcasting from my um, Chromebook, MacBook, or PC. And then another switch of the button, and it's an interactive whiteboard. So, I mean, that's a quadruple hitter right there. Like, you, you've got all these choices. And then in the racetrack classroom, what we try to do is put a screen on each wall so that every kid can be looking any direction and be getting the instruction. That's really fascinating, and it's it's just a total rethink of how the classroom can and maybe should operate. Um, do you see this being a, a feasible model moving forward for more than just one classroom? You know, can can that is a yeah. that is a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, when we priced out the stools and the tables, and bear in mind these are tables that are on wheels and they have a writable surface. They're super heavy duty, built for school. Uh, you could do the classroom furniture-wise for around, I think it was eight or nine thousand dollars. So if you take a typical classroom and you divide, um, a lot of times you'll see thirty-six desks. I know that may be um, terrifying to you, <laughs> but if you take thirty-six desks times about two twenty-nine a desk, that's eighty-two hundred bucks. And what you're going to have is the classic uh, cemetery-style seating, mm-hmm. right, where we're all in rows. And it's stuffed to the gills, or you're going to have um, uh, what my other friend Sean calls cells and bells, right? So you just put people in their little boxes. In the racetrack classroom, the middle of the classroom is wide open. So there's a better sense of humanity because people kind of have their space. They're not all shoved on top of each other. And then you could easily take one of those box light, either the touchscreen or the big screen setup. And um, those those cost a couple thousand, but... Um, you could easily put uh, some other LCD TVs on the other three walls because you don't necessarily need to have the touchscreen on all three walls. We had a really cool donation for BoxLite, so we could really let it run. But as long as you have one screen that the teacher can interact at, as, and if it's wirelessly, and then you hook two or three other LCDs to it, you can just use off-the-shelf LCDs or or uh, uh, you know you can do a bulk purchase with the BoxLite type of setup. And now you have a screen on every wall, just like Applebee's, right? Every time I go to Applebee's, <laughs> there's TVs everywhere. Right, right. Um, and and so it, it is pretty sustainable when you look at the comparison to what you might do for just a standard classroom right now. It's it's not out of the realm price-wise. Yeah, and this is, this is kind of where my head is at right now is just thinking uh, we've spent so much money changing curriculums and so much money, as you mentioned earlier, changing and training yeah. teachers and that sort of thing. If we could settle on saying, hey, look, this model works. Let's invest our time and money into uh, making this as, as fruitful of a layout and 
um, way of doing uh, math class as possible, then uh, potentially you can okay. have that that style of classroom for for students and see test scores you know go up around the country. Yeah, and here's what we do know, Tyler. Uh, if you look it up on the National Educational Report Card, our uh, math scores have essentially been flat since 1992. Like. Mm-hmm. There's there's eight or ten point variation, but uh, on a scale of 283, ten points is not very much. It's barely escaping the uh, standard deviation, right? So, uh, my logic is we know anecdotally that we don't have people running around saying I love math. We know that, mm-hmm. um, and and the reason that there's all these discussions about school is because we don't have kids coming home saying, mom, I wish I could go to school two more days this year. It would be so amazing to just extend my experience. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're not hearing that. Right. And then the, 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 when you take that experience anecdotally, and then the data that says that we've tried all of this stuff and, you know, scores aren't going up or down, they're pretty much the same. Uh, to me, that gives us permission to say, let's do something weird and see what happens. Right. And, uh, I've had a couple of people say, John, is this research-based? Well, you know, uh, no, I don't, I don't have like some big college research on it. But here's what I know. Uh, teachers being able to talk to kids uh, in small settings, I know that works, right? Uh, kids not being able to hide in the back row, I know that works, right? Right. <laughs> so right. there's a lot of common sense here. And if we can get a few schools doing this, then maybe we can get into the research level. At the very least, what you end up with is a classroom that's a lot more humane, a lot more face to face and for about the same price. So I'd, I'd like to see some people give it a shot. Yeah. I I'm, I'm abundantly curious as to how, how that would work and how it would, it would um, maybe evolve moving forward. And one of the things that I continually come back to when I think about these topics is that technology has moved so quickly that at times it feels like, um, that at times it feels like educational technology has been kind of put into classrooms without really a consideration for how it actually benefits learning. Mm-hmm. Whereas this feels mm-hmm. like there's a there's a purpose for the technology and for why it's there that would actually benefit the student rather than putting the technology cart before the student horse, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and then, you know, that's let's. I'm going to take my teacher guilt trip off too. That's not unique to. Uh, that is not at all unique to education. That's a human. No, thing. you're you're absolutely right about like that. In, in World War II, at the beginning of the war, the American Navy had radar on their ships, and the Japanese did not. And the Americans continued to put the ships with radar in the back of the line because that's where they wore seniority wise. And they got their butts kicked in a couple battles, and guess what happened? Their ships with the radar started going right up to the front. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to be able to see what the other guys were doing earlier, right? So this is really common in humans. This is really common. Uh, if you think of uh, World War One fighter aircraft, right? They used to just bring grenades and pistols. And one day a guy figured out that you could actually put a hunk of metal on your propeller so that when your machine gun fired, it would actually actually deflect the bullets, right? So that's we're talking about the military, like the people that now are doing you know space stuff and stealth stuff. And at that, but my part, my point is, we've gotten better at testing and we got better at science. But this is how humans do stuff: we throw something out there, we observe the effects, and then we adjust. Well, that guy that did the thing where he just had a hunk of metal. He ended up getting shot down, and when he crashed, uh, landed, the Germans spotted his plane, and they were like, hey, what's this thing? 
Well, being Germans, they went ahead and made a thing that's called interrupter gear. So they actually added a cam so that when the propeller was in front of the machine gun, the machine gun would stop firing. So instead of going daka 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 daka, it would go daka 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 daka. Well, this is the kind of stuff that we need to be able to do in education too. Because in education, we keep saying, you can't put a machine gun on there because it'll shoot your propeller off. Well, somebody's got to go crazy and say, let's try this and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wonder the, the response that you get from teachers when it comes to uh, whether or not they feel um, properly trained and equipped to utilize the technology that's at their disposal nowadays. Is that something that you feel happens on a regular basis or? No, no, yeah. we are really, we are really deficit in that area. And it's, it's a kind of a triple whammy because as educators, We've been trained by the system. I got my finger quotes up if you can't see them. The, you know, the system is, has trained us to, to do sameness. And what, what that's getting us is same scores. We're, we need to start celebrating, you know, innovation and invention and, and, and uh, changing things. And so the problem becomes that, um, that uh, we, we have a, a teacher workforce right now that um, they're, they're not naturally curious enough. And again, I'm talking about the total workforce, not individuals. We got some really curious people out there. Um, at the same time, I can speak to California. You know, in California, we are uh, 46th or 48th in the nation in funding per student, which is highly, uh, I think, uh, I ironic, uh, given that we also have, uh, we're probably tied with New York for the most expensive place to live. So we're funding our teachers and our students at a level that is diametrically opposed to what the cost of living in the state are. So teachers don't have disposable income to pay for their own PD and districts are underfunded. In California, a lot of districts only do one or two days of PD for the teachers and then that's it for the whole year. So, um, and then the third leg of the tripod is I think people just need to be, if you're a professional, you need to be naturally curious. And the example I use a lot is you don't think Wolfgang Puck goes on vacation and tells his wife, no more restaurants. I'm tired of cooking. Like that's what he does, right? That's what he does. Um, NFL referees volunteer to coach or ref at local high school games just to keep their edge, right? And so – I think that districts have a responsibility to train teachers, and I think districts need to be funded by the state appropriately to get that training done. But I think as professionals, we have a responsibility to um, be on board with training ourselves as well. Absolutely. Well, uh, John, tell us a little bit more about where people can learn about Q if they are interested in getting involved and in joining. I know you mentioned that off the top, but tell us a little bit more about that. And also, uh, may, I, I know you have a book as well. If people want to read more, where can they find that? Yeah. Um, well, I will tell you that uh, if folks if folks want to know more about Q, they can go to on.q.org. And we've got kind of a news magazine with articles uh, like this that uh, share about the work that we do. Um, people can go, if they're on a Twitter type of basis, they can go hashtag QChat and see every Tuesday night. We have a place where people can uh, enjoy an adult beverage on Tuesday evenings by themselves at home with their feet up by the fire and learn <laughs> stuff about teaching and that's totally free. Um, they can become a member. We'll send them a couple of emails, you know, um, a month about what's going on with our, uh, activities and things like that. And then, um, uh, bold in particular happens every May and it's a really neat event. we we're start starting to now get, um, um, 
folks from all over the United States come into this thing, uh, and it's growing about 25% a year. So it's, it's turned into a really cool little thing. And I want to just say thanks to vendors like uh, Mimeo, like Boxlight, like uh, Meteor Education and ThinkBoard. They, they help us provide a better model for teachers in terms of what could happen because I, I'm a big I like food. Uh, I eat three times a day most days. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, same. Uh, sometimes maybe yeah. more. Yeah, I'm a fan. So yeah, um, yeah. I think that uh, one thing that happens with our food uh, ingestion as people is when, when people tell us about new foods, uh, we develop what's called an appetite, right? We say, ooh, that sounds good. And I think that's kind of what we need to develop more of in our educators is a sense of Ooh, I've never seen that before. Tell me more about it. Like, have you ever had a person drag you into a restaurant and you're mm -hmm. like, uh, I'm not so sure I want to eat here. <laughs> and then about 20 minutes later, after you've burned through the apps and your meal shows up, you're, you're thinking, bro, when are we coming back? Like, this is the best thing I've ever had in yeah. three months. Why, why didn't you tell me about this before? <laughs> and, um, I think that we need to have that same kind of uh, appetite and curiosity in teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, give us a uh, little more detail on your on your book as well. Well, the book is called Edge of Protocols, and I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you something that almost no authors will say. I frankly don't care if people want to buy it. Um, <laughs> my co-author and I wrote it because we wanted to kind of memorialize the things we'd learned in our careers. Mm -hmm. um, and we uh, the focus is how to teach better and work less because I see a lot of teachers that work really hard and they're not getting the results that they have in their heart. Like in their heart, they know when they make those lesson plans, they're like, oh, this is going to be the best one ever. And then it kind of doesn't always work out. And I know this because I've been that person. And uh, what we did with Edge of Protocols is I used some of my college coaching experience. I coached football for a couple of years at, at the college level. And uh, some good brain thinking, like uh, stuff from uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Sonny Magana and, and uh, John Hattie and Marzano. And then we started taking a look at what are best practices. So if somebody's interested in that, they can go to edgeofprotocols.com with an OLS, edgeprotocols.com, and there's uh, uh, they can read up about stuff that, um, that other educators have done. And literally, I'm getting five or six people a week that are tweeting me saying, dude, this book is changing my life because I'm not doing nearly as much preparation. Kids are excited to do their work. My grading time is going down like that. You're not even a teacher, Tyler, but that starts sounding attractive, right? You're like, wow. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to lead a group of 30 people who are happy to see you in the morning? Right. Mm -hmm. And so if they go to edgeprotocols.com, they can read up more on it. We've got a preview of the book. So it's, I think people can read like four chapters. And then we also have free templates for teachers. So there's a lot of teachers that are spending money at a thing called Teachers Pay Teachers to buy lessons. Uh, they can go get free ones at edgeprotocols.com. And then um, with my work at Q, we, um, uh, Edge of Protocols are all open source and Creative Commons, so teachers can take them and make them their own. We don't care. And um, we asked that they would, you know, say, hey, this is this is from John and Marlena. But that's that we know that sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle. And then if they go to Q.org, C-U-E dot org slash craft, they can also download some toolkits there for some other Edge of Protocol type of things. Because uh, we really just think that we can ch we can change the way that our industry works by adjusting things. And I will wrap up with this analogy, right? Um if you've only got hot dogs from AM PM and I take you to Costco, your mind is blown, right? You're like, what? <laughs> 
Oh my right. God, these these buns are crazy. These hot do- these hot dogs, these Polish dogs are huge. And how do they cook them? They're not using the rollers. And then if I take you to uh, if I take you to downtown L.A. and we find a food truck that has bacon wrapped hot dogs, now you're flipping out. And then if I fly you to Chicago and you have a Chicago dog, your whole universe has changed. And that's that's what we're helping teachers to do is realize it's not what you're doing is good or bad. It's just that you, all you know is 7-Eleven. Like, did you watch Joe Dirt? Have you seen the movie? Yeah, yeah. There's the scene where Joe Dirt says he lists about 50 different kinds of fireworks. And he says, why don't you have those? And and the, the guy <laughs> says, "That's well, that's what I like. <laughs> and Joe Dirt's like, well, that's the problem, dude. It's not what you like. It's what the consumer likes. And the consumers are our students. And they expect us to entertain them and they expect us to be really engaging and they expect us to help them use technology. And that's pretty much what our job is. Absolutely. Well, in- incredible and very necessary work that you're doing. And so uh, it was a pleasure getting to talk to you about this today, John, and uh, continue the good work uh, into the future. Thanks, Tyler. It's good to meet you. Nice to meet you as well.